In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. So, uh, you want to be a contestant on the Craig's List podcast? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's a very popular podcast. Uh, I know. I watch it all the time. Oh, you watch it? I okay. listen to it all the time. You listen to it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. You know, uh, people are getting a little tired of Carla. <laughs> <laughs> so I've read. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in the papers and everything. And, you know, we might be looking for somebody to uh, supplant her. You know? Okay. I don't laugh a lot. Uh, <laughs> you don't laugh a lot. That's good. That's good. Because people are really being bothered by her laugh. You know, <laughs> like that's out there on the internet. So it's, it's official now. Um, so uh, this week's movie is Quiz Show. Like what what uh, what kind of letter grade do you think you would give that that movie? I I couldn't say until I talked about it to death. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, you know that that's the process. You talk about it to death, then you give it a letter grade. But Craig would really like it if somebody gave this movie an A because how, how uh, much will Craig pay me for that? Oh, all right, we're getting right to it. <laughs> okay, are you suggesting that this podcast is fixed? That these letter grades? I'm just saying are... I can be paid off. All right, you're you're on the podcast. What's your name? Uh, Eileen Smitherson. Eileen Smitherson. You mean like Smitherson Smitherson? Mm-hmm. All right. You're from, from a very prominent family. <laughs> I need more money. We're bankrupt. Okay. Well, how much do you need? Five million. <laughs> Five, okay. We don't have that. We don't have nearly that. Uh, okay. Well, give it, give it whatever grade you want to then because Carla's going to do the same. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Craig's listeners, to the Craigslist podcast. I haven't really nailed down that opening bit yet. How you, that goes? You know, I threw that on Carla at the last minute. <laughs> you know, I, I just mean, thought, I'm an improviser. I, I should be able to hang. The idea of a podcast that's fixed is kind of, is kind of amusing to me, at least. Uh, yeah, by all means, Carla and guest break into the pastries while I do the intro. Uh, <laughs> So today's movie is uh, is Quiz Show. This is number 47 on Craig's list. This is episode 54. Always adds up to 101. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a 1994 film directed by Bob Redford. Robert Redford. To, uh, Bobby. Yeah, to people who don't know him as well as I do. And it stars uh, Rafe Fiennes, uh, Rob Morrow, Paul Schofield, David Pamer, Hank Azaria, John Turturro as Herb Stemple. Uh, just a great cast of actors. So many men. A lot of men. A lot of men. Well, we'll talk about that. There's a Mira Sorvino in there. Somewhere. There is a Mira Sorvino in there in kind of a thankless wife role. Uh, but this received Oscar nominations for Best Picture, 
director for Redford, supporting actor for Paul Schofield, and adapted screenplay. It was based on the book by Richard Goodwin, who appears as a character in the movie, about the quiz show scandals of the late 1950s, where quiz shows on American television were fixed. Uh, they were fake. Uh, and mostly following the contestant Charles Van Doren, who was a celebrity intellectual mm-hmm. at the time. But to talk about this movie, we have a guest today. Ooh, who could it be? <laughs> we do have a guest, and you know her from her singing and, <laughs> and her songwriting and her fiddle playing <laughs> for such acts as Nickel Creek. I'm with her, the Watkins Family Hour, uh, the Decemberist, the Prairie Home Companion people, <laughs> and of course her her solo work. Please welcome Sarah Watkins. Hi, <laughs> the Prairie Home Companion people. <laughs> We're hoping to get that sweet, sweet Prairie Home crossover. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be here. It's so fun. We're in her really cool apartment, and I'm sitting on her shaggy rug, and it's super comfortable. We're having pastries. We really have two guests today, we should say, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you're going to have a baby in a week. I am. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the, the baby has already been born by the time this podcast comes I out. I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, so Sarah, we made you watch Quiz Show. That's right. Had you seen this movie before? I had not. Okay. Had you heard of it? I don't think so. <laughs> I've heard of the, the, the phrase quiz show. <laughs> sure. It's but, a com- common phrase. Yeah. Usually referring to a, uh, a television trivia show. Did you know about these quiz show scandals? No. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to say, when I saw the guy with the headphones in the booth, mm-hmm. I was amazed that nobody suspected that, <laughs> that like the answers were coming through the headphones. Right. Yeah. Which they weren't. <laughs> evidently but no. i would have i feel like even back then i would have been like come on guys yeah i guess the headphones are for dramatic effect because you're you can't hear what the guy in the other booth is answering i guess that's why they right. had them is that right mm-hmm. yeah it's just to be like uh hey they're in a soundproof booth plus they have headphones on so they really can't hear <laughs> there's <anything>. no way <laughs> I read up a little on the show 21, which is the, the real game show that uh, was adapted for this movie. And you had to get to 21 points and you could answer questions ranging from one to 11 points. Uh, and then you won ridiculous money for, for the time. I think Charles Van Doren ended up winning over like $120,000, which would be over a million dollars in today's. But doing? But doing <laughs> in today's money. So of like it was serious money these people were making uh to appear on a fixed quiz show. And I guess in the early days it was not fixed, but it was low rated and a lot of the questions were really hard and none of the contestants knew them. <laughs> um mm-hmm. and then uh along with the sponsor that was Geritol, um the uh the producers uh Dan Enright and Al Friedman along with the host Jack Barry conspired to fix the show and so the contestants were coached uh on everything like how to dab their brow and uh they would turn off the air conditioning to make them sweat in the booth uh and then the the results were kind of scripted for maximum drama and then the show became a huge hit wow 
Yeah. Reality TV. Yeah. <laughs> it was reality TV before reality TV. Carla, you worked in reality TV. I did. I worked on Hell's Kitchen. Did I tell you that before? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so I, and I don't know if this is true. I probably should have looked it up, but when I worked on that show, I would, so I would be in the booth watching the challenges happen and there'd always be somebody from standards and practices there watching the producers watch the show. And so there was one time where one of the producers told the PA on set to do something. And I don't know what it was because I didn't have headphones on. I couldn't hear standards and practices got up from the back, went up to her and said, you cannot do that. You are not allowed to do that. And so it was like a whole thing where I guess this producer was trying to influence the results of the challenge in some way. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and standards and practices immediately. And they worked for the network, I think, I believe. Yeah. And so, uh, but anyways, and then I thought, I wonder if this is because of quiz show. <laughs> is it? Wow. Yeah. I, I feel like it was. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, because this was a huge, con- there were congressional hearings in the late fifties, not only about 21, but about a lot of different quiz shows that were doing this on the air at the time. And then game shows went off the air for years. Like mm-hmm. the, they just didn't have them because people didn't trust in the results and they started to come back. Uh, more in the late sixties with Jeopardy, the original version of Jeopardy. And then, um, and then the guys who created 21 came back with the Joker's wild and made millions of dollars so funny. in, in the seventies. So even they were, were not oh. out because they kind of fell on their sword, uh, to absolve the sponsor and the network of any responsibility. So did 21 take the brunt of the hit. Do you think, or was it just kind of across the board? <clears throat> I, I think because it was the biggest hit at the time or the most successful show. Yeah. I mean, it, it probably w- was the most prominent show, but I think there were other shows that were taken off the air wow. as a result that were also fixing results. That's so fascinating. So yeah. So, uh, when people would say, Oh, a hell's kitchen, I think that that's fixed. I know that it's not. <laughs> like, All right. They can't fix it. Cause it's a game show. So they legally can't. I mean, I'm, I guess there's probably ways around it, <laughs> but in terms of just the challenges in the moment, who's going to do the best cooking or whatever, like they can't fix it. The actual results. So they can right. affect, they can probably affect like the dynamics and exactly the circumstances yes. that lead up to the drama. But as far as the, they can stress the people judging. out before they get in there. They yeah. can take them into the booth and ask them the questions like real world style yes. and like make them anxious. They can do all those things, but they can't like in terms of the actual challenge that's set up, they can't do anything to mess with that, which I think is really interesting because you always hear reality TV isn't really real, but there are different degrees of what that means. <laughs> but at the, at the end of the day, Gordon Ramsay makes the choice of who to kick off, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't remember. And so that can be like the producers like, it might be time to get rid of this guy, right? You just got to fix it right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it's not based on the challenge who stays. That just helps influence it, right? Yeah. yeah. Fake. It's all fake. It's amazing how I've forgotten so much about that show. <laughs> You've wiped it out of your mind. Also, I just really love the great British Bake Off. And so now all I can think about when I think about cooking shows is that show. Do you watch that show, Sarah? I have watched it. I love it. It's so great, right? <laughs> oh, it's so good. I haven't, I, evidently there's a new season with yeah. new judges and things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that except for Hollywood. That hasn't aired. Yeah. Paul Hollywood is still on. Uh, that hasn't aired in America yet. I think I there's two versions, right? Isn't there? 
the one with Paul Hollywood, and then there's something else. And then the hosts and Mary have splintered off for their show. Maybe not. Too? I, don't know. I you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not convinced that I know all the details. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I what I have watched from previous seasons has been wonderful and delightful and yeah. I love it. The well, internet will t- correct us. They'll let us know. Thank you. Thanks, Internet. Uh <laughs> well, it's so British and gentle. <laughs> You know, yeah. of like, it's actually sweet. Yeah. Uh, and you really are rooting for everyone. Some contestants are more annoying than others, right. but of like, you, they feel like real people and you're rooting for them. They don't feel like characters on a show. So they just want to eat everything that they make. It looks. It feels like. So good. It feels like, uh, when you're like hanging out with somebody else's family. Yeah. And you can totally see how other people would be annoyed, but you're not at all. Right. Because it's someone else's family and you just think they're delightful. Yes. Agreed. Feels <laughs> like that. Now, uh, Quiz Show came out in 94, and I think I've talked a lot about the two big Oscar-nominated years, 1974 and 1975, with, which combined have supplied eight of my top 100 movies. So those are kind of like the big years where like the Oscar-nominated movies were actually good. But 94 was another big one because uh, and maybe maybe after those two years, maybe the best collection of nominated movies because it was Quiz Show. Pulp Fiction, which we've also covered on this show. The winner was Forrest Gump. Some people have misgivings about that movie. I happen to like it. I do too. I like it. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption, which is the number one movie on IMDb of all time. Not on my list, but a very good movie. Very good movie. And uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is a good movie as well. Yep. All those are good movies. So no duds. No duds in that uh, in that group. What were you doing in 1994, Sarah? <laughs> 1994. <laughs> I was uh, hanging out at a lot of bluegrass festivals <laughs> <laughs> and uh, down, in, down in San Diego. Because you were a child prodigy. I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> you have it half right. But you were, you were An be- unpopular child. <laughs> <laughs> but you were playing the fiddle it, back Hence then. the unpopularity, yes. <laughs> it all works together. Yeah. So you weren't curious as to like, well, what's going on in the multiplex? What uh, What – intellectual uh, movie is Robert Redford putting out this week? No, I'm not sure what year uh, Jurassic Park came out, but I was probably watching that movie mm-hmm. 90, around that time. 93. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That, that was one of the... That was more your speed at the time. Probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I read the book first, of course. Come on. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, so, what, what were your impressions of Quisha? I, I, I think this is probably a stupid reference, but my... Because, because I'm not sure if it's just the time that the film is, um, is set, but it, uh, there were several things that reminded me of Hudsucker Proxy in terms of, oh, yeah, of the direction at the be, like, particularly the beginning, like when they're delivering the 21 envelope from the vault and they're doing all those handoffs and into the vault, into the truck and down the hallway reminded me of the blue letter, blue letter or red letter. Is in that from Hudsucker. I I haven't seen that movie in years. Yeah, it's one of the. I think it's, okay. I feel like it's Blue Letter, but okay. I could be wrong. And they deliver it, and it's this big deal. And then the other thing that reminded me of Hudsucker Proxy was the um the investigator was like this this smart aleck guy. Like there's a scene in in um in both movies where the investigator is bragging about something, and like all of the all of his cohorts in the office are like making fun of him. Yeah. And that's like a proxy. It's like, has she mentioned the Pulitzer yet? 
And in this movie, it's like, has he mentioned the Harvard, first in Harvard law or whatever? Yeah. Oh, and they do, weird. they do that in this one as well. And he's on the phone and they're kind of heckling him from the side. And you're totally right. Similar, Hudson, Hudsucker Proxy might have been that same year. It might have been 95. It was right around the same really? time. I have to. We have to rent that again because I really liked that movie. I love that movie too. It's just been a while since yeah. I've seen it. I'm in a big Coen Brothers fan. And certainly John Turturro, who's in this movie, is in a lot of Coen Brothers right. movies. Mm-hmm. And although this is a true story, there is kind of like a heightened sensibility to how it's directed. Um, it's a, you know, it's, it's not exaggerated in the way that a Coen Brothers movie is, but it is just slightly larger than life. Some of the dialogues paced very quickly in a way that. <laughs> yeah that some of that older stuff is. And I would say for a longish movie, it's like two hours, 15, I think it moves pretty well. Like I, I think, think so too. I think it's well edited and it zips along and, uh, it doesn't really drag for me. Um, I, I first saw this on VHS with my friend, Angie, because Ethan Hawke was in it for five seconds. <laughs> he literally is, is he? in it for five seconds. Yes. <laughs> He's one of the, the dad's students. Oh, like he says something. He has like three lines. That's right. Before the big scene with Charles Van Doren and his dad in the dad's classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some students that are leaving. He's just finishing a lecture and there's some students that are leaving. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Ethan Hawke is one of those guys. I didn't clock him. Yeah. Um, Oh, Carla clocked him. But (laughs) I I don't know that I knew he was only in it for that short amount of time. So when we watched it, I was like, what's going on? But. You're watching the whole movie just to see the Hawk. <laughs> the only thing you yes. care about. Just to see the Hawk. Uh, because my best friend loved him and we watched all of his movies. And I liked him a lot. Um, over the years, I've grown to love him uh, <laughs> a lot. Um, but anyways, uh, but I remember l- liking this movie quite a bit when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen it probably three or four times now after this most recent viewing, which is a lot for me. That's a lot. Yeah. one movie. Um, but... And for being such a male centric story, yeah, uh, I think it does such a great job of, um, pairing different qualities in, like, so, so for example, John Turturro, who's a nightmare, his character's a nightmare, right? He's like super neurotic, but then he has really great moments of vulnerability and you, sympathize with him so much yeah. and even Char- Charles Van Duren. I mean, that's the whole crux of the story for his journey is like, he's this charming, good person who did this horrible thing and lied. But at the end, you're still like, well, you're still a good person. <laughs> and so I think it does such a great job of showing different uh, levels to people and different shades within their character without feeling false or like we're seeing a different character each time they come on screen. Does it make sense? Yeah, it really felt like they like the film did a good job at at capturing real people, real kinds of people, and real kinds of relationships. Mm-hmm. Like the way the the the, the father son relationship is really interesting. Yes, and just like how much he adores his family and and how much it pains him to to hurt them and their react like his reaction, the father and mother's reaction, just seems so honest and yes, heartfelt yeah. and broken hearted, but still supportive in the way that only parents can be and. Absolutely. I don't know, it was very kind. Yeah, and as much as he loves and worships his father, which you can tell, he also you also get the sense that he partially did this because of his father, right? I mean, he's he trying even, to prove something. He even says that he had to yeah. carve out something for himself to not just be another a carbon copy of his dad. And so there is even though he clearly loves his father, reveres him, he still has this um jealousy towards his father or like this mm. 
challenging relationship, which is really, I think, real, really real. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, very the, true. There are a lot of interesting dualities because the Van Dorans are like Ivy League, you know, East Coast waspy elites, right? Mm-hmm. And then so Herb Stemple, which is the Totoro character, he's more like working class New York Jew. Uh, so he's more like rough and tumble, you know, aspiring to be and taken seriously as an mm-hmm. intellectual because he has a good head for trivia. And then, uh, Richard Goodwin, the Rob Morrow character is, uh, also a Jew, but, uh, but Ivy League educated. So he kind of like can converse in both, uh, worlds. Right. You know, uh, so, you know, he's got the Ivy League connection with Van Doren, but he's got the Jewish connection with, uh, with Stemple. Uh, and, and even his character who like wants to do a good job is pursuing this on his own, trying to find out the truth. He can't bring himself to hurt this guy that he's just Charles who he's become friends with, even though he thinks for sure he's lying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So interesting. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of emotional stuff for a bunch of guys movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it, it takes a lot for Carla to like a movie, you know, without, a prominent female character with a few wives characters. Yeah. And, uh, it. even I'll even stick up for Mira Sorvino's character, her place in it, which is kind of the voice of reason of like, stop being a pussy and go after <laughs> Charles. He's the one who's going to unlock the case for you. Yeah. Like I liked that scene a lot. Mm-hmm. You do get the sense that her and Rob Morrow, who plays her husband, are like they're you know intellectual equals and in like a real partnership. From the beginning, you get that sense, like yeah. when she's on the bed, like doing the quiz, and sort of you know, yeah, it felt it felt like a, a like a like a very appealing relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Mary Sorvino. I do too. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. she should work more often. <laughs> and then there's Herb Stemple's wife as well. Uh, who, uh, gets, uh, tromped on by him oh, all the course. time, you know. She's so he, great in this too, that she, actress. She's yeah. very good and she, uh, she's worked a bit over the years. I, I don't know her name offhand, but I think she's very good and believable in this and he's so mean to her throughout yeah. the whole movie. Um, she kind of sticks up for herself though. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That was a moment where you felt bad for him was when she finds out that he, he was getting the answers too, right? Yes. Yeah. Like she knew he was taking a dive when he loses on Marty. Uh, but I think she didn't know the extent to which he had been fixing the games. And so when he admits it to Dick Goodwin of like, you catch her reaction to it and she's just devastated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's, uh, Van Doren's mother, uh, which is a smaller part, but, uh, she's played by Elizabeth Wilson who played, uh, Dustin Hoffman's mother in The Graduate. Oh. What? (laughs) Another another famous mom role. Well, ladies, I have to tell you that Robert Redford and Paul Atanasio, the screenwriter, did fudge the timeline a bit for this movie. So they took some, they took some dramatic license in telling the story to make it a little more dramatic. How do you, how do you feel about that, Craig? Well, I think it works great as a movie, but I think, uh, it, we should note what really happened, uh, in history. So in the movie, um, Herb Stemple, as I mentioned, takes a dive on the question, uh, what movie won the Academy Award for Best Picture of 1955? Uh, the correct answer is Marty. He answers on the waterfront. Marty, uh, Marty is, is a movie about a working class, uh, New Yorker. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. Uh, so it would have been like this guy's favorite movie. Right. Uh, certainly. Uh, in reality, that was a question that Herb Stimple was asked during his first match with Van Doren. He did, uh, take a dive on that question, <clears throat> but that's not the question that he lost on. As a matter of fact, Stimple and Van Doren tied four times. <laughs> So they tied at 21 four times in a row before they finally had the match where uh, Stemple lost to Van Doren. So they actually build up the tension. So they did try and they they let them try and do it honestly. Or not no, honestly, but they no, let it. It was all scripted. It was all scripted. It the was, whole time. It was all scripted. Like, you know, so win? it's like it's another tie. Tune in next week to find yeah. out who Jeez. who wins. Those yeah. little stinkers. Uh, so I I <laughs> think for the movie we probably don't need to see five different nights of them playing right. the game together to to get wow. that. So I would just like to say I did think this when we were watching it, whenever that was yesterday, the day before. <clears throat> It starts right away. Like it jumps into the action. And for not being like an action movie, it's very active right away. Yeah. So yeah. So it's you, you, there's no like convincing. Is it Stemple? Is that what you said? Herb Stemple. Yeah. Yeah. There's no convincing him to take a dive or anything, um, for too long. Like, uh, it just kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't draw linger. anything out. Yeah. yeah. It just kind of goes for it. Which I, I really thought it was liked. such an interesting opening scene with the car buying. Yes. And then it was just that it's such a a surprising choice for me, I feel like, because yeah, in the context of the rest of the movie, I watched the beginning of it again. And it's interesting to start with that character and this car that doesn't ever really come back into the story, but they end with Sputnik. And I was wondering if that was the goal was to somehow like find a way to set the tone and the time and the quote of America's in trouble, something to the effect of America's in trouble. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, it's an interesting time that in those early days of TV, uh, TV in general was going for more of a intellectual tone. Like they would put on live plays all the time, you know, Uh, uh, noted playwrights and authors would write things for TV. Um, Quiz shows were big. And so this was a time when we were in a space race with the Russians and like post war, uh, there was kind of a, a, a brain race as well to be the smartest country, you know, and schooling was really being pushed hard. How far we have sunk <laughs> since then when, uh, when people are kind of derided as elites, you know, when calling somebody an intellectual is an insult, you yeah. know, when saying that, uh, because you have book learning, you don't know anything. Right. You're not a real person, you know, and it was the opposite at this time when, uh, we cherished people who were smart. Even if they were, uh, faking it on a quiz show. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they had questionable values. Yeah, uh, can ahead. I, uh, jump on this? Cause I'm so glad you brought that scene up because I forgot about that scene. And I think it has everything to do with what you guys just said in terms of setting the stage for the, for television and where America was. But I also think it sets the idea of this investigator. What's his name? Uh, Dick Goodwin. Dick Goodwin, and how he Dick Goodwin because he's like in he's this, got a he's got a Boston I accent. I don't know if you noticed that, Kyla. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I noticed it. Uh, but he he's like such a grounded, realistic person. So it's interesting to, that the first time we see him, he's sitting in this car that he's not going to buy, like this fancy car, smoking a cigar, right? And I think it gives you the idea of like 
he's going to be able to sympathize with why Charles wanted this lifestyle, even if he wouldn't have made that same choice. Yeah. You know, it's an odd scene, but it's a smart scene. Yeah. Like he, he's into fancy things. He likes that stuff too. And so you can get a sense of why he would feel bad for this guy. All three of those main characters are trying to define themselves as find their individual sort of ring to grab. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And they, so they're pursuing these like oddball ways to just kind of stand out and get from under the thumb. Totally. And the American dream, they're pursuing the American dream, which is owning a big ass Cadillac and (laughs) listening to uh, Bobby Darren, you know? Um, Yeah. I also, uh, another thing, you know, we, we open the movie with a famous Bobby Darren version of Mac the knife, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, which would have been a, been a big hit at the time. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, they bookend it with Lyle Lovett doing a cover of Mac the Knife. Uh, but it's like, it couldn't be more different because, you know, the Bobby Darren version of like, it's big band and it's boisterous. And, you know, uh, he, he changed some of the lyrics, you know, to make it more palatable of like, and you kind of like, wait, is this a guy, is this song about a guy murdering people? <laughs> you know, but of like, you're enjoying it so much, you don't really think about it. And then so the Lyle Lovett version at the end is the original three penny opera lyrics, which are more, you know, blunt and, uh, violent. And it's kind of like slow and creepy and it's it's with shots of an audience laughing and so maniacally yeah so it's kind of like here's the 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 cleaned up version you know made palatable yeah. for a mass audience and like here's the real version uh with you know the the truth you know the violence at the I end i had no idea the lyrics were different yeah wow i didn't realize that either you've worked with lyle lovett right mm-hmm. yeah the first time i ever saw you was with lyle lovett in a, a play that's right much yeah. ado much no yeah much ado you guys have acted with lyle lovett it's cool <laughs> it was so cool and sarah and lyle and the band came out mm-hmm. right and would play um in the scenes like you were the, like the we village people little, exactly <laughs> the town people mm-hmm. it was i was so surprised i was i was Struck by his version of it, or at least just hearing him do it, it was so surprising. Yeah. Um, do you recognize his voice right mm-hmm. away? Oh. oh yeah, it's it's very identifiable. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> how could you not? How could you not know? Uh, Back off, please, buddy. Carla. I I can clock Lyle Lovett. Uh, um. Oh, and the other thing that they fudged was the the scandal. The congressional hearings didn't take place till three years after Van Doren had been on 21. Okay. Um, so that's that another way sense. they fudged the timeline. So Van Doren had his run on the show uh, and then... I would have done that too. I would have fudged that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And then so the whole thing of like Dick Goodwin becoming friends with Van Doren while he was still on the show, that didn't happen. Right. Uh, Goodwin then started investigating Van Doren, you know, a few years later and they struck up a friendship. Um, so the whole thing of like making it concurrent was uh, a choice by the the screenwriter and uh, Robert Redford. That makes sense. Did Van okay. Doren uh, lose his job and all that stuff? Stop teaching. The uh, at the end when you the the little where are they now stuff of all the characters it said that he never taught again uh, and apparently he did. I guess he did have to resign from Columbia University where he was a teacher at the, at the time. Yeah. Um, but years later he did start teaching again. Uh, Why would they say that then at the <clears throat> end? Because it sounds better. I don't know. That's bizarre. I don't know. Yeah. 
Um, they also, I guess, uh, contacted him to be a consultant on the movie and he turned that opportunity down. But in 2008, he wrote a first person article for the New Yorker, uh, with his version of the story. Wow. Uh, so I'm going to try to track that down and, yeah, find and that. post I that. that. And I, I believe he's still alive. Interesting. Uh, as well. Um, well, let's, let's go through the movie chronologically a little bit with a segment that we like to call. Carla's quotes. <laughs> She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's quotes. <laughs> uh, Sarah just lit up. Um, right away in that first scene with the car, uh, making fun of Rob Morrow's accent, Carla said, Harvard Law School. <laughs> it's, I will say his accent is, or his dialect is very distracting. Did you feel that way? It just felt old timey to me. Yes. Maybe it's authentic. I don't know. I think Rob Morrow is quite good in this movie. The accent is a little much. He's wonderful. And then he lays it on real thick with the accent and it's a little weird. Yeah. And surprising that he has not had more of a career because I think he's wonderful in this movie. I always liked him in Northern Exposure as well. Never saw that. And he's in one of my favorite SNL sketches of all time. When he hosted SNL, like around this time when he was a, a pretty big star, uh, there's a sketch with him and Mike Myers and I think Julia Sweeney where uh, they're at a bar and he always is a little too late in the conversation. Um, so he's always referencing the previous thing they were talking about. And then they, they stare at him and you're like, uh, Come on, Ted. Yeah, we already talked about that. Uh, and so he's like, he's trying to make jokes that, and I, I just know that feeling. I'm just like leering yes, a little, little too that's late. Me. That's yeah. me in a conversation. And then he goes into the bathroom to, uh, wash his hands. And then there's a time machine in the bathroom and then he zaps back in the time machine and they replay the scene with him being on the nose with all the comments that he wanted oh, to make funny. right at the right time. Uh, it's so good. That's amazing. That's a really good idea. Good um, idea. Carla also said, I forgot how much this guy's voice gets on my nerves. <laughs> I just realized now that like a lot of what I associate with like an old timey kind of movie is bad accents. Right. <laughs> like, well, cause like Catherine Hepburn and all those people sounded that way, right? Yeah. Right? I, like that was, that was authentic, right? Please don't take Catherine Hepburn away from me. <laughs> I what mean, you, I love her, but what was the dialect that they had been, to learn in theater school? I think it's called Mid -Atlantic? the Mid-Atlantic dialect. Mm -hmm. And that's what, what Paget does with right. the Sadie Doyle voice and, mm -hmm. and Thrilling Adventure. You know, it's, it's literally what they taught to all of the studio actors at the time. Some of whom were more, you know, rural. Some were more working class, yeah. you know, like, so they're literally like remaking. But it's not a real dialect. It was something they no, created. It was something they made up for the movies. I think uh, Catherine Hepburn is legit. Like that's that's right. her voice. Like, East Coast like kinda, yeah. yeah, maybe she a played it up. Elite. Maybe she played it up after a while, but she literally was East Coast, you know, New England mm -hmm. elite. But I think for uh, for a lot of those people, it was something they had to learn yeah. in classes with the uh, the movie studios to be glamorous. <laughs> he sounded uh, uh, a cross between that and a Kennedy to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then he worked for the Kennedys. He was a screenwriter, a screenwriter, a uh, speechwriter, <laughs> speechwriter for JFK. And then he worked for RFK as well. Not Rob Moore. They were like, you talk like us. Oh, the, the real person. Yeah. R Richard Goodwin. Got it. Yes. Uh, eventually worked for the, uh, for the Kennedy administration. And then I guess he wrote, uh, Lyndon Johnson's famous civil rights speech as well. Wow. And he's still alive as well. And then his wife is the famous historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. 
Okay. <laughs> Who we've talked about many times on this, on this podcast. I don't know any famous historian's names. <laughs> Who oh, are you? <laughs> oh, one other bit of, bit of trivia about that opening car salesman scene. Uh, the car salesman was played by Ernie Sabella, and he also had a famous role in a 1994 movie. Uh, he played Pumbaa. In The Lion King? Pumbaa is the warthog in The Lion King that sings Hakuna Matata. What? <laughs> yeah, so. What? That's amazing. Uh, so a little little Ernie Sabella trivia. <laughs> Sarah's like, thank you. <laughs> when we cut to the show, uh, where we see uh, all, all the tension of just like getting ready for 21 is like pretty well done too, you know, and they, they see people sitting down at their TV sets all across the nation. You see a group of nuns that are sitting down to watch it, you know. <laughs> so again, of like it's played up a little bit, but it, it's really well done. And then you see Jack Barry, the host, uh, kind of like doing vocal warm ups to get ready. Uh, and that actor is Christopher McDonald. And Carla said, that guy always plays a creeper. He's immediately yeah. unappealing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Like he's, he's like, you know, I, I guess a good-looking face, right? Yeah. But there's something that Smarmy he does and... that is just, yeah. It feels aggressive and scary. Yeah, to me. yeah. Well, wasn't he? He was either Thelma or Louise's husband. I forget which one. <laughs> I didn't want to get oh. right? with Louise. <laughs> yeah, he's Gina Davis's abusive husband in that movie. Mm. So maybe that, uh, uh, maybe that made such Honestly, an impression on I people. Did, I, that's what I was about to say. Is it feels like he's abused women in movies, but I didn't want to say that out loud. So okay, so there you go. Your feelings, Carla. <laughs> right. Do you guys remember Geritol? Yeah, I mean, I think I remember it as a cultural reference, and it probably was. I don't I think, think it's been like my, sold my in years. My grandparents talk, like either talking about it or having it or something. I think what what I remember too. is watching the Lawrence Welk show with my grandparents, and mm-hmm. Geritol was a sponsor for that. I might have seen that then too, because I, I watched <laughs> I watched Lawrence Welk with my grandparents. Yeah. What's Lawrence Welk? <laughs> oh, Carla. <laughs> <laughs> It's bizarre, uh, but it was a, it was on the air for like forty years. Yeah, and it was I think it was syndicated. It might have like been on regular TV like in the fifties or whatever. But he ran probably into the eighties, and then let's it, let's hear Sarah's version. What's your no, version? I mean, my version my version is very limited because I only watched the reruns every once in a while, and it wasn't necessarily up my alley. It was just on. Yeah, and uh, but it's where are they? Are they? Dutch? Are they, like, is he, is he? <laughs> He's American. I think he was from North Dakota. What? Uh, but he maybe, maybe he immigrated because he did have, uh, some kind of an accent and he was famous for like, and now we're going to do the famous song from the polka of, you know, we're going to do the bare barrel polka and the one and the two. He might have been Polish actually because oh. my, my grandparents were Polish. And I think, but, but they did a lot of polkas and folk dancing uh-huh. and just old timey songs. And so it was kind of keeping a, and they had the Lawrence Welk dancers who would come on and, and sing, you know, very clean cut. It was so clean cut <laughs> and very like, you get the sense it's very family oriented, like, like as far as the grouping of people who are performing and singing. I mean, there's the SNL uh, sketch that. that oh yes, that, with Kristen Wiig with the tiny creepy with the tiny hands. hands. That's oh, a yeah. that's and a parody of that's a par- oh, parody of Lawrence Welk. Parody of Lawrence Welk. Yes. Weird. So Fred Armisen no is playing. And the one and the two and the, yeah. yeah. Is he actually Lawrence Welk or is he like a Lawrence Welk type on it? I forget. 
I think it's. I think he's playing Lawrence. I think Welk. he's Lawrence Welk. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> but I had it, no idea that was a parody of something. It's mm-hmm. so bizarre. Guys, I'm learning so much <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, but Geritol, I think, was just like a fake vitamin thing, you know, like that it's for old folks, you know. But it, it's, it, I think it was something that did nothing. But anyway, they're the sponsor of Twenty One on this show. I think that I thought it was like Neosporin for some reason because <laughs> it sounds like that. Yeah. Right. Wait. What? First of all, it's. What sounds like Neosporin and also Geritol. you thought Geritol does sound like Neosporin. <laughs> and what you thought Neosporin was a sponsor? No, I thought that Geritol was like some sort of medicated gel for cuts. Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which that sounds... I don't know why, but that's I if, buy you, that. if you had asked me what it was, yeah. I would have said that first. And I buy that. Second, I would have said something for balding men to put my, on their head. My impression my impression of what Geritol is, because I don't actually know, is like a powder that you mix with milk. Oh, kind of like Ovaltine. I just realized that—that's my idea of what it is. And Ovaltine, also from generations gone by. Yeah, Ovaltine, I think, is another one of those like old-timey sponsors. You know, brought to you by Ovaltine. Yeah. You know? uh, so all the TV shows of the time would have sponsors like that. Anyway, the president of Geritol, played by. Mr. Martin Scorsese. Oh, yeah. Uh, and maybe, I mean, he's had cameos in a fair amount of movies as an actor, but this might be the most screen time he's gotten he's as an actor. Too. He's really good in it. Wow. Uh, t- uh, typical fast-talking Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, and he's just the smarmiest, sleaziest guy. He fits in really well. Yeah. The style of the film. Um, <laughs> you said it's only money. What is <laughs> What is that referring to? Who knows? I don't remember things that I say. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I was talking to you. It's only money, Craig. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were just worried about our finances. <laughs> yeah, that, had, that had nothing to do with the, with the movie. Yeah. yeah. It's all we'll bleeding be, together. We'll be all right. <laughs> Paying two rents in Portland and L.A., we'll be fine. <laughs> um, there is a, a weird thing on the show too, and I tried to read. I, I was trying to cram stuff about the real Twenty One this morning to learn this, but it, it also sounded like when you lost, the the person who defeated you got some of your money. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, not the show's money, but you had to give up a portion of your earnings that you had earned before and give it to the the people person thought, who beat you. I thought that was funny too. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it was like weird. Hmm. Uh, I always. Uh, and then people always like to make the joke on Jeopardy when then somebody finishes in the negative that they have to give the money to Alex <laughs> at the end, you know, but, but they don't. Um, when John Turturro came on the screen, Carla said, I love you, John. I love you. <laughs> Why do you love John Turturro? He's just so great. He's just one of the best actors of all time. I don't know why. He's so different. Every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we just saw him in that, that Jenny Slate movie, yeah. Landline, that came out mm-hmm. this year. And he was so wonderful. He plays the dad. Plays the dad. heartbreaking and wonderful in it. It was really good. Uh, and The Night Of, you know, yeah. which he got a lot of accolades for last year. Is I was the- so happy to see him in those two things because I felt like he disappeared for a bit. Yeah. I hadn't seen him in a while. Uh, but this is a time certainly where he's... He was working a lot with the Cohen brothers and with Spike Lee at the time. And the first thing I remember seeing him in was Do the Right Thing in 1989, where he's the, the horrible racist brother, you know, at the, uh, the pizza place, you know, and then Spike Lee, like almost knowing what a versatile actor he had, cast him in Jungle Fever next as kind of like a, a sweet 
guy who has a, a crush on this black woman, you know. Yeah. So of like right away, those were the first two things I saw him in. And then uh Cohen Brothers, uh Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this guy can do anything, mm-hmm. you know. So like he's kind of playing to the rafters as Herb Stemple of like he's making a big choice, yeah. but it feels believable. He it pull, feels pulls so it off. And again, even though he's such a, he is so slimy and just doing everything for the wrong reason, you know, even when he comes forward to expose the game show, he's not doing it because he thinks that it's wrong. He's doing it because they didn't put him on another show like they promised they would after. Yeah. You know, and so it's, he's just like kind of petty. He's very petty and immature and insecure, but then he has these great moments of just being so sympathetic yeah. And you can, he's just a guy who's never had luck. He's just this guy who, you know, by circumstance is, has always been in, is set in his place and has never been able to elevate beyond that. And it's just so heartbreaking. <laughs> and then that last scene where he watches, uh, Charles being, um, bombarded by the press mm-hmm. and, and one of the photographers recognizes me like, Hey, let's get a picture with you too. And he's like, no, can't you just leave a guy alone? <laughs> you never leave a guy alone unless you're leaving him alone. <laughs> yeah. <he's laughs> Which is a so great line. Great in that scene. Yeah. And you, and you, you think like, Oh, he's not such a bad guy after all. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. You're just aware of, of how he's been sort of like made fun of his whole life. Like you, you really feel yeah. the, the old schoolyard bullying on him like mm-hmm. the stain of that through his whole life totally then when it's a really good way to put it yeah uh, especially because when he gives his um testimony is that what it's called in the trial yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, like everybody's laughing at him like even the people who are just sitting there watching are laughing at him mm-hmm. and they, he doesn't realize that they're laughing at him right away it's so sad and then to see the difference of how they treat Van, Van Buren when yeah. he's up there. Yes. Because yes. you really get the sense in Congress, you know, and like when the network president is up there, like he's talking about his golf game with one of the senators, you feel like this is this old boy, white male network, right. you know, that, you know, you can't break into, you know, and even Dick Goodwin, who's educated as a Jew, is kind of like outside their world uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when Ray Fines came on the screen, Carla said, hi, handsome. <laughs> He's so dreamy. He's really dreamy in this. This was shortly after Schindler's List, right? It was the year after Schindler's yeah. List. So, Which is so he was because he's he was a, a repulsive monster. Nazi in that movie, and he'd gained a lot of weight to have that big, thick right. gut mm-hmm. uh, in Schindler's List as well as Amon Gert. Uh, and then, yeah, this was the next movie that anybody saw him in, and you're like, "What? This is the yeah. same guy?" And for Robert wow. Redford to have that kind of—I mean, I'm, I don't know if it was just Robert Redford, but to be able to like look at him after that performance in Chandler's List and be like, "He could play this part, like this charming, handsome, yeah, <laughs> lovable intellect or whatever—it's so interesting." Well, as produced, like it said, he produced it and directed it. Redford did, yeah. So he must have had a huge hand in. I would think. I'm so, sure. Yeah. Stuff, right? yeah. We were looking at the most recent Robert Redford movie, which was not very good. But looking at the cast, there's like 20 amazing actors yeah. in it. And you really sense that like anybody wants to work with him. And that's why Ethan Hawke is on the screen for three, yeah. three seconds in this movie. that's I read movie. at yeah. the time when um, after we saw it, we read that Ethan Hawke just wanted to be in a Robert Redford movie. <laughs> he just loves Robert Redford. What's the most recent Robert Redford movie? It was a movie where he's in it as well. And it's with Shia LaBeouf. And he plays like a sixties radical who's been in hiding since yeah. like a bombing. Hmm. Uh, 
And then uh, I think Shia LaBeouf is like an investigative reporter who's like trying to track Redford down. Mm-hmm. Julie Christie's in it, who's amazing. Mm-hmm. Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Uh, Ter- Terrence, what's his name? Not Terrence Ter- Howard. Terrence yeah. Howard. It's just an incredible cast. Brendan Gleeson. Um, Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brendan Gleeson. And well. it, it wasn't terrible but it was like eh, it was just okay yeah it wasn't you know? great he had a great start to his career with uh he won the best director and best picture for his very first movie he directed which was ordinary people yes. which is another one of those dad son emotional movies that gets me it's not on my list but it's very close to being on the top 100 i love, I would love that movie. to be friends with robert redford yeah <laughs> I just love him so much. I feel like out of the three of us, you have the best chance. <laughs> so try really hard over the next year and I'm we'll check try back so in. so hard, you guys. Uh, when Herb Stemple is one of his many insults to his wife, uh, he says, my real expertise is pain in the ass in-laws. And Carla said, mine too. I was kidding. <laughs> don't worry. Bob and Martha don't listen to this. No, they don't. <laughs> my mom does. Uh, yeah, and the, uh, you know, the executives, uh, who run the show too, of like very good actors. David Paymer plays Dan Enright. I think he's just perfect. He's really good in this he's too. Really good. Like, yeah. he's sleazy, but then you also just get the sense of like, he just really believes in what he's doing. You know, yeah. like he's got a logic behind it. You know, he's not just a cookie cutter villain, you know. And, uh, that he's kind of, he's a really savvy guy, you know? Yeah. And so when he kind of stands up to Dick Goodwin, you know, you really get the sense of like, oh, maybe Goodwin's in over his head of like, he's not going to get this guy. And then, and finally he gets the, uh, the trump card of like having the, the contestant who had mailed himself the answers, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then when David Paymer gets that news, you know, you really see, you know, how that, that kind of crushes him a little bit. But right. then he, he's, the wheels are turning quickly of like, how can I turn this to my advantage again, you know? Mm-hmm. Also, this was the first time when I actually saw that that idea of like mail it to yourself yeah. working. Right. <laughs> like I remember when I was a little kid and they're like, if you want to copyright something, you gotta write it down, get your idea saved, you write it down sealed envelope, don't open it. Yeah. Uh, and that's your that's your that's your thing. Yeah. That was told to me as like a legitimate way to Keep, like I don't know, I know text screen, an invention idea or something. I know right. screenwriters who aren't union that have done that. I don't. Yeah. I don't think that it holds up in court anymore. I don't though. think so. No. Oh yeah, because yeah, I feel like I've heard o- over the years that that's not a real thing anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that it worked. Yeah, in this movie, <laughs> in this movie, it did. Uh, and then Hank Azaria plays uh, the second hand guy uh, under Dan Enright, and he's very good too. Uh, mostly known for his Simpsons work at the time. He's done a lot more on camera uh, since then. Real quick, the final um, testimony by the main guy, what was his name? Van Doren. No, 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 no. The the one we were just talking Dan about. Dan Enright. Dan Enright. Yeah. The main producer on the show. Uh, I thought he was going to like, because I'd forgotten how this whole thing went at the end, but I thought he was going to be like, yeah, sorry. Sorry that we did that. That was a bad, I think, I thought he was going to take the, he takes the fall for the network, but I also thought he was going to apologize and, tr- and seem like, you know, whatever. And he doesn't. He's yeah. like, that's exactly what America wants is drama. And so he has, like you said, he has this very logical response to the point where I was like, yeah, he's not wrong because there wasn't a law against doing this at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it brought the ratings <clears throat> up and if it was interesting and entertaining for the audience, then he was doing his job. Exactly. So he, he wasn't really 
I mean, there's ethical questions, of course, but at the end of the day, he was just making TV, good TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this movie really does encourage you to like be suspicious of everything, you know, because of like people are, you know, the you can't in trust. In the most benign way, right? Yes. Like all none of these things were that terrible, right? Yeah, like on the grand scale of what we see today but yeah i think it's the subtle it's it's the little things like if you can't trust the little things yeah it's a slippery so- yeah. slope and then when uh van doren goes in for his interview to get on the quiz show they do kind of like make the pitch to him right away to fix it and give him the answers and carla said they told him in the interview <laughs> uh, that, that was another one where i was so impressed with how fast the the action of the movie was happening yeah. like there was not a lot of debate <laughs> and then he's like, well, I'd, I'd have to say no. Was that part of the test? And they just got to laugh. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's such so a good moment. Good. Uh, and then as he's walking away, uh, Hank Azaria says, why would a guy like that want to be on a quiz show? And Carla said, because he has a lot to prove to his dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's dad issues again. I got to say. The, uh, I do have a bone to pick with the on the waterfront versus Marty question because mm-hmm. it really depends on how it's phrased. <laughs> because as you know, the Oscars are not held in the same year for the, you know, the, the year in which those pictures are competing. So, uh, the 1955 Oscars ceremony did award best picture to on the waterfront as the best picture of 1954, but mm-hmm. the ceremony took place in 1955. Right. And then the Marty got the award in the 1956 ceremony. So at different times during the movie, they phrase the question differently and it really depends on how it's phrased. The best, the best picture of 1955 was Marty, but the Oscar ceremony of 1955 gave it to on the waterfront. That is so, Herb, I think you were right. I think you were right. <laughs> that makes me like the question. That makes me like that more. Yeah. <laughs> Except um, that the filmmakers didn't realize, I guess, the difference. I don't know. Is that what you're saying? I don't know. I actually looked in the IMDb goofs section and nobody had pointed that out yet. Oh, my gosh. This could be your ticket to fame and glory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I can get one goof, one goof on IMDb, I've made it. Uh I like uh all the 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 running things on the show like can I take the fourth part last <laughs> like it's so yeah, weird they I'm do like, that all the time It's another thing that they strung out for drama you know like they ask them a four part question and they just answer it in different increments yeah That was confusing for me When uh Herb Stimple does lose on the show Carla said bummer I knew it was coming but it's still a bummer <laughs> Oh, and when I was pointing out that nerdy Marty on the waterfront thing, Carla said, you should tell, you should tell Robert Redford stats. <laughs> and I said, I'm sure he already knows. Uh, I'm sure somebody's already told him. And Carla said, sometimes these celebrities are surrounded by yes men. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe all these years of people who have kept, uh, Redford insulated. Like, don't from tell them. him about the, the Marty goof. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they were, I forget exactly what this dollar amount meant. Maybe it was a payout they were going to give to Herb, $20,000. Yeah. But Carla said, $20,000, that's nothing. That's a year of college these days. I think not even that. Not even. Yeah, yeah. you're right. I love this rug so much, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks. My cousin sold it to me. It's amazing. Like, I could just lay on it all the time. Do it. <laughs> Charles Van Doren becomes the most popular college professor since Indiana Jones, basically, because he's got all yeah. the ladies coming to his class. All the ladies. And that was one thing that Van Doren set the record straight. He was engaged at the time and was not, not fooling around. Oh, so he was like, they added that to the movie. Is that, is that what you mean? Yeah. 
to because you know you kind of see how it's the fame starts affecting mm, him yeah. and he's like can you drop me off in front you know or like let's wait till like the classroom gets out so yeah. you know everybody can fawn over me including Callista Flockhart one of the students who uh <laughs> flirts with him did you recognize no her? <laughs> i don't recognize anyone i'm yeah. just so I, I can just watch any movie and <laughs> you'd be completely free of references. If I ever get into a movie, I'm going to let you know right away so you can look for me. Please do. <laughs> and then when Hank Azaria and David Pamir are talking about what to do with Herb, Carla said, take him out. That's a different movie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to kill him. <laughs> In a different movie, they would have, though. I, I guess thought. I guess so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not only Martin Scorsese, but another famous movie director, Barry Levinson, appears as uh, Dave Garraway, the host of the uh, the Today Show. And that is true that of like his co-host really was a chimpanzee named J. Fred Muggs. What on the show? <laughs> that was such a str- that was so funny. I remember when that happened. I was- yeah. <laughs> I guess more I'm a, take it out. <laughs> more of a sidekick, more of a sidekick than a co-host. Um. <laughs> It was a different different court case after that. Right. <laughs> Here's Carla and Rob Morrow's accent again. Is that his real accent? And I said, I think he's doing one for the movie. And Carla said, how do we feel it went? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, not great. Um, I will say, I don't want to give him too much shit. He's a great actor. Like, there were some scenes where he made me tear up for sure. Yeah. But Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh i all oh, oh this is the moment where uh herb stemple's wife finds out that he's been cheating uh on the quiz show that mm-hmm. is carla said ah oh, that's sad you broke her heart <laughs> <laughs> um i love the scene where they're playing poker and he's like you're lying charlie yeah <laughs> and, so good. and he goes uh bluffing bluffing the word is uh bluffing <laughs> Because he's talking about the quiz show and Ray Fine's talking about the poker game. Yeah. Um, the, uh, was this during the, uh, the confrontation with Martin Scorsese? Then why are you the one that's sweating? Oh no, it's with the network president who's a really, uh, that guy's well cast too because yeah, he's yeah. just like a creepy, you know, man of industry kind he of guy. He just feels like a businessman. He, he feels like feel a businessman. He just feels like all business all the time. All business, yeah. And so when Goodwin's uh, confronting him, he's like, "Then why are you the one that's sweating?" And Carla said, "Oh, huzzah, men!" <laughs> <laughs> that was a good moment. It was a good moment. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, when. When Van Doren finally loses, he takes a dive, which the show doesn't know, you know, and Jack Barry has such a great reaction to that of like, what? Because uh, yeah. <laughs> he's not prepared for him to lose. Then they uh, they bring in Dave Garraway and they make him sign his contract for NBC live on television. Yeah. And Carla said, what? How is business done like that? It's so good. Like they pressure him into what was with that? <laughs> yeah. Like he loses. And he did it. It's so he crazy. Did. It's that moment was very couldn't couldn't be true. I would have. Yeah, is that true? It is true. He had a three-year, $150,000 contract to make appearances on the Today Show. But did they have him sign it live on the air? That I don't know. That he, felt weird to it, me. It, it really, like, I would have said no just for spite. Like, yeah. you can't, I mean, maybe not. Maybe these people have nicer manners than I do. But, like, it would have, it felt very pushy. Yeah. Yeah. It was very strange. Carla not and her- my favorite part of the movie. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Carla and Herb Stemple. He's such a gross person, which I guess is the point. 
because he's got uh, he's always asking if he should get his teeth capped and he's got like a, a dead tooth you yeah. know that Totoro added for it of like that's part of the, the grossness right mm-hmm. uh i know i've said this but i just want to communicate it better <laughs> okay which is i can't think of another like what's another good example of a movie that does this so well where they where the two leads so john Totoro and ray fines are so opposite but like perfectly you're, opposite <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah and you're not really rooting for either one exactly yeah. yeah like neither is the hero uh but they both have sympathetic qualities right. craig's listeners tweet at us with your answers of like what are the what are those movies with the <laughs> do you know what i mean uh-huh. two equal characters that are a, in opposition that's a really good point that neither one of them there's really no hero in this yeah movie. no hero no villain justice just justice is the hero. <laughs> um, and then uh, he kind of like he tries to keep Van Doren out of the congressional hearing, you know. Uh, but then when Herb kind of talks about him, then everybody's like, oh, well, we got to get Van Doren here. Hop, 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 hop. Uh, and then so then they kind of make Ray Fines make a statement, you know. And Carla said, he told you to keep your head down for two weeks, Van Doren. Why can't you keep a deal? Uh he, but they didn't make him. That was the point. It yeah. is Van, Der, Van, whatever his name is. <laughs> uh, Charles made a public statement. Yes. After Rob Morrow had said, keep your head down for two weeks. Yeah, I don't want to hear boss from you. wanted him to do, not his boss. The guy from the quiz show asked him to make yes. a statement. Yeah. The network head. Right. Yeah. But that's what I mean. But, uh, but I was under the impression that he did it so that he would get subpoenaed because he was ready to come clean. And that was the investigator's theory as well. That's right. Because Dick Goodwin says that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, why would he do that? You know, you know, I'll come after you. But then I'm like, he knows I'll come after him. Yeah. Because he had warned him. <laughs> Keep mm-hmm. your head down. Yeah. Don't make any statements. Uh, very interesting. Uh, yeah. A lot going on there. During that Ethan Hawke cameo, uh, I said, that's Ethan Hawke. And Carla said, I just want it to be known that you never need to point out Ethan Hawke to me. I know he's in this movie. (laughs) And the weird thing about it is that he really could be Todd Anderson, uh, Ethan's character from Dead Poet Society. Yeah. Right? You know, because he's like at a prep, you know, well, it's a college course, right? So it's a few years after Todd has left, uh, uh, Dalton, Mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. Uh, and so now he's uh, now he's getting classes from Mark Van Doren. <laughs> I almost said Van Buren as well. I keep saying Van Buren too. Yes. It's just um, how it goes. So how about that big scene between Ray Fiennes and Paul Schofield? They gave you the answers. They gave you the answers. It's just dev- make you cry? devastating. No, but I cry a little bit. I don't. I don't cry unless I'm on planes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Watching watching a movie on planes or just flying in general makes in you cry. In general, but absolutely if there's a movie I will I will be crying. At. Really? Oh, explain that to me. There That's is something really about the altitude oh, that does affect absolutely. people. You're more likely to cry on planes, right? I, I think so. And also as you know, it's a transition. A lot of times if you're leaving for a long time or coming back, I feel like there's for me, anyway, oh, it's, you're it's already a, yeah. You're thinking about strong. things, and you're not necessarily like I don't cry about like leaving home, but you're just thinking about transitions and life and big right. things. I, like all the time, I cry in airplanes. And if I'm watching a movie, completely 
Like I watched The Horse Whisperer and Secretariat on the same flight. <laughs> Forget it. The Horse Whisperer and Secretary? Secretariat. Oh, Secretary. 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 Was a, Secretary. It was, it was a very different horse, than Secretary, double girl. Horse movie, <laughs> double horse movie. <laughs> plane, yeah. and I was toast. Yeah. Did you choose these movies or had the plane chosen them for you? Well, I sort of ran. No, I, I chose them, but I'd you know, run out of Delta movies to watch. Oh, you can't go double horse, Sarah. <laughs> it was a stupid mistake. <laughs> Director of The Horse Whisperer? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, don't test me. Don't quiz me. Okay. I never need to point out Ethan Hawke to Carla or Robert Redford to Sarah. Now, now I know this. <laughs> um, yeah. But Paul Schofield nominated, uh, for an Oscar for, for this, this role. Such a great scene. Okay. You guys, even if you don't watch this movie, find the scene and just watch this it's scene. It's probably on YouTube. It's, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so. One, Sad. <laughs> one thing that I know that Robert, Robert Redford does in this movie to kind of play up the confrontations between characters because there are a lot of pairings is that he'll kind of like rapid c- cut back and forth between just one shots of them, you know, so it does feel like a duel kind of going back and forth mm-hmm. of like he doesn't do a, a wide shot, you know, or mm-hmm. a two shot uh, of them. So it's it does, you know, it, and it is like it's almost like the two people in booths on the quiz show. But even in, in real life outside of the quiz show, it's a lot of back and forth uh and it, it really adds to the drama of it was the english patient the following year english patient was 96 so two years, two years after later. that and ray fines has not received a nomination since then he was nominated for schindler's really? he was not no- nominated for this movie uh which is bizarre because he's yeah. incredible and he was not nominated for one of the great performances of all time in grand budapest hotel yeah, like he's so, good he's so good in that so uh but academy Schofield in this was just he's great when yeah. he realizes that what Rafe is telling him is that he cheated uh, and he has to sit down to like take it in. Yeah. It's uh, so sad. <laughs> I keep saying that, but it was. Now, here's something from the congressional hearing that's totally exactly how it happened. The statement that Van Doren gives uh, is uh, the statement that he gave. And then that senator uh, and then all of the, the senators are like, well, we want to. Thank you. Thank you, sir, for making this statement. You know, And then there's one senator who's a little more working class who's like, yeah, thanks for making the statement, uh, Mr. Van Dorn. But, you know, uh, as a, an adult of your intellect, you know, shouldn't be celebrated for just telling the truth. And that that senator really did make that statement. Really? And yeah. So that's not something they made up for the movie. That's funny. I'm so glad because it was so excessive hearing the like every one of those. Were they? Is it Congress? Or yeah. Something? Yeah. They, they were every congressmen. One of those yeah. Congressmen like. Just like, just buttering him up and just yeah. being, it was just like, it was so excessive and you want one of them to scold him, but even when it does happen, it kind of hurts a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like when, when it happens, you feel that he is at first, like also kind of surprised that they're at their accolades and praise. Like, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And then, uh, and then the one guy brings him down and you, you sense his, you know, it's it's just, but it's it does hurt a little bit. Yeah, I think that uh, that's my favorite scene with Rob Morrow, actually, because the way that he telegraphs what's happening, <laughs> just he doesn't say one word in that scene. He's just reacting with his face. Yeah. So like when the senators are like, "Thank you, thank you," he's like, he's looking like this is crazy. What's going on? <laughs> this is absurd. Yeah. And then yeah, when the final senator says that, he he looks heartbroken yeah. for Charles. Oh, it's so good. I thought we. Were- we're gonna get television. Looks like television's gonna get us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what the quote is? 
Oh, well, no, that's what that's what uh, Goodwin says. Oh, that's, that's right. Yeah. What he says. Yeah, it, when he's talking to his coworker. That's funny because yeah. at the beginning of the movie, he says it used to be that the man drove the car. Now the car drives the man. <laughs> that's in the beginning of it. Yeah. Interesting. I'm so glad you remember so much about the beginning of it. I forgot all that stuff. Uh, Carla, you want to give this a letter grade? An A. Nice. Whoa. What does yeah. that stand for? It stands for... Um, uh oh gosh I don't know it stands for all right I love movies too. <laughs> <laughs> so even a movie with a bunch of dudes. If you do it right, if, I'm on board. Yeah, if they're not shooting and killing each other. Even if they're shooting and killing each other, I could be on board. I okay. Just, I just need some vulnerability. I just need some. All right, Sarah. Human ha- emotion. <laughs> Sarah, only, how about for you? My only complaint about this movie is like it did feel a tad long to me. Yeah. Um, it yeah. felt like they could have been like to hear you say it was two hours 15 minutes like they could have i feel like they could have cut that 15 minutes out of the middle of there somewhere yeah sure. um and so i'm gonna give it like a b b plus can i give it can yeah I, can i do that absolutely okay i like that uh carla you want to improvise a little scene yes and uh i think sarah might underscore this <gasps> scene a little bit i think we should do the scene between van duren and stemple okay so this is after the congressional hearing then and then all the reporters are trying to uh, to get Van Doren to make a statement, right? And Stemple's watching him, but they never actually have a scene together. Right. So. so let's say that they leave the courthouse and all the reporters are gone. And there's a moment with them on the steps together. Okay. Okay. And who who do you want to play, Carla? I'll play Ray Fiennes. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to do it like Voldemort. Right, awesome. <laughs> okay. Ray Fiennes as Voldemort. Yeah. As uh, Charles Van Doren. Yes. And I'll play Herb Stemple. Great, uh, great statement you made, Van Doren. I would just like to say, I'm sorry, Herb. Boy, you sound like a real creeper, and I sound like Woody Allen. You know, maybe we should have a real quiz show where, uh, where we have to answer questions, uh, that, that aren't given to us, huh? You want to meet me man-to-man in the quiz show field? You are more man than I could ever be, Herb. <laughs> so what? what's next for you? you are you going to go back to being a college professor? Well, next I will go underground and I will hide for many years until it is time for me to rule again! <laughs> Ask me who won the best picture in 1955. Who won the best picture in 1955? Marty! Marty, I love that movie. I believe it was on the waterfront. You well, were right, her. What are we talking about exactly? We're talking then. about the ceremony <laughs> from 1955. Hey, you want to you go out and get a Reuben? I would like to drink some children's blood. You know, the Reuben's the only entirely invented sandwich. Nobody's ever made up a sandwich other than the Reuben, apparently. Potter! And scene! (laughs) That was so beautiful, Sarah. That was lovely. I was so moved by the music. I felt it felt like a very... I could barely improvise. Very Voldemort 
I really wish I knew the theme, Voldemort's theme. That would have been way better. I don't even remember what Voldemort sounded like, honestly. It was kind of in that. Yeah, it was was in that vein. It was in that vein. Okay, good. Uh, Little Gollum. Little Gollum, maybe. Uh, Sarah, this is going to come out in late October. Light? What's going on with you? So chilly out. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys remember that heat wave back oh. in September? Oh, man. Phew. Actually, in Los Angeles, it probably still is 90 degrees in late October. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you got uh, music coming out? You got I, tours? What's going I on? Don't, I don't want to be uh, presumptuous that this might actually happen on time, but... Supposedly, right now, there's a Watkins Family Hour podcast. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I've heard about this might be in the works. Yeah. yeah. And I'm really excited about it. Sean, my brother, and I have this residency in Los Angeles that we've done for about 15 years now. And um, for the last little bit, we've been multi-tracking the shows. And um, and so we put together this podcast that Bluegrass Situation is putting out. And it, it should be out right now. Amazing. Yeah. That's assuming really assuming all has gone to plan. So where can they find it? Do you know? Um, wherever you get your podcast. So like, like <laughs> iTunes or whatever. Uh-huh. Okay, iTunes, cool. Stitcher. And it's, called, uh, it's called Watkins Family Hour it Podcast. Is. Okay, yeah. great. Okay. Regardless, we will promote the shit out of it. Yeah. And yeah. what's your website? Go get that podcast that isn't out yet. What's your website <laughs> no, again so they can find your tour dates? Probably... Uh, well, there, there's, there's, uh, the sarahwikins.com and I'm on a, in a band that's coming out uh, next year called I'm with her and we'll be doing some stuff. Um, and, uh, but you know, a little, a little, little Google goes a long, a long way. <laughs> you, you, can <laughs> out, you can find out where I'm going. Where I am. Yeah, little yeah. Google goes a long, <laughs> long way. Cool. What are you What are you doing, Carla? I'm in Portland and I'm wearing a sweater. Uh-huh. And it was raining this morning, and I really liked it. <laughs> uh, and I'm at the Curious Comedy Theater doing stuff, of which I don't really know what that means yet in September. But I'm sure I'm doing stuff in October. And so. I'm really missing Carla. Uh, we don't have any orange tuxedo shows uh, until I get to Portland in November. But mm-hmm. uh, you can see me improvise every Thursday night at the I.O. West Theater at 9 p.m. in a show called Quartet. That's right. With Gene Villapeak and Tammy Sager and other guests. So that's... And you have a, a little part on a show called The Mayor, right? Oh, yeah. If you watch the new show, uh, The Mayor, I'm in at least two of the first three episodes <laughs> and hopefully more by the time uh, this podcast comes out. And uh, Drunk History looks like that's not going to come out till February. But, oh, wow. um So that's a long time to wait for what I think is our greatest season ever. <laughs> Could it be? <laughs> Brought to you by Ovaltine. <laughs> uh, so, Carla, uh, we're going to go back. We were in the 1950s uh, uh, in this movie, which was made in the 1990s. But we're actually going to go to a movie made in the 1950s. For our next film. And, uh, this is directed by uh, a gentleman from the actor's studio named Elia Kazan. Mm, this and would be on the waterfront. It's not on the waterfront. <laughs> it's Marty. No, it's, uh, the, on, the, on the waterfront is a very good guess. Streetcar Named Desire. It is a Streetcar Named Desire. Yes. Starring Mr. Marlon Brando, Ms. Vivian, Vivian Lee, Lee, Mr. Carl Malden, and Ms. Kim Hunter. Yeah. Three of the four of them won the acting award for this movie. All of them except for Brando won uh, the acting award. But Marlon Brando, a revolutionary performance 
uh, in you know one of the first examples of method acting mm-hmm. uh, on the big screen. And I've seen the, this movie. It's the Tennessee Williams play, A Streetcar Named Desire. I've seen it. What, what did What did you think of it? It's pretty good. Hi. Hi. So, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was delightful. Thank you for watching our movie. Oh, I'm delighted to be a part of this podcast that I love. Aw, that's so nice. She actually does listen to it, which is really nice. (laughs) We've had other guests who said they listen to it, and I don't believe them. Ben Acker. Ben Acker. But this concludes, uh, I think, seven podcasts in seven days that we've recorded that we've tried to cram in right before Carla leaves town. So we'll probably record Streetcar and one of our other visits together uh, in the upcoming months. And uh, uh, Carla's asking me to wrap it up, but I'm going to wrap it up. (laughs) The list is an absolute good. The list is life.